Chapter One of Mystery of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Crystal Treader. Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker. Chapter One Second Sight. I had just arrived at Cruden Bay on my annual visit and after a late breakfast was sitting on the low wall which was a continuation of the escarpment of the bridge over the water of cruden opposite to me across the road and standing under the only little clump of trees in the place was a tall gaunt old woman who kept looking at me intently as i sat a little group consisting of a man and two women went by i found my eyes follow them for it seemed to me after they had passed me that the two women walked together and the man alone in front carrying on his shoulders a little black box a coffin i shuddered as i thought but a moment later i saw all three abreast just as they had been the old woman was now looking at me with eyes that blazed she came across the road and said to me without preface what saw ye then that ye even looked so odd I did not like to tell her, so I did not answer. Her great eyes were fixed keenly upon me, seeming to look me through and through. I felt that I grew quite red, whereupon she said, apparently to herself, I thought so. Even I did not see that which he saw. How do you mean? I queried. She answered ambiguously, Wait. You shall perhaps know before this hour tomorrow. Her answer interested me, and I tried to get her to say more, but she would not. She moved away with a grand stately movement that seemed to become her great gaunt form. After dinner, whilst I was sitting in front of the hotel, there was a great commotion in the village, much running to and fro of men and women with sad mien. On questioning them, I found that a child had been drowned in the little harbour below just then a woman and a man the same that had passed the bridge earlier in the day ran by with wild looks one of the bystanders looked after them pityingly as he said poor souls it's a sad homecoming for them the night who are they i asked the man took off his cap reverently and he answered the father and the mother of the child that was drowned as he spoke, I looked round as though someone had called me. There stood the gaunt woman, with a look of triumph on her face. The curved shore of Cruden Bay, Aberdeenshire, is backed by a waste of sandhills in whose hollows sea-grass and moss and wild violets, together with the pretty grass of Parnassus, form a green carpet. The surface of the hills is held together by bent grass, and is eternally shifting as the wind takes the fine sand and drifts it to and fro all behind is green from the meadows that mark the southern edge of the bay to the swelling uplands that stretch away and away far in the distance till the blue mist of the mountains at braemar sets a kind of barrier in the centre of the bay the highest point of the land that runs downward to the sea looks like a miniature hill known as the hawklaw from this point onward, to the extreme south, the land runs high with a gentle trend downwards. 
Cruden sands are wide and firm, and the sea runs out a considerable distance. When there is a storm with the wind on shore, the whole bay is a mass of leaping waves and broken water that threatens every instant to annihilate the snake-nets which stretch out here and there along the shore. More than a few vessels have been lost on these wide-stretching sands, and it was perhaps the roaring of the shallow seas and the terror which they inspired which sent the crews to the spirit-room, and the bodies of those of them which came to shore later on, to the churchyard on the hill. If Cruden Bay is to be taken figuratively as a mouth, with the sand-hills for the soft palate, and the green hakla as the tongue, the rocks which work the extremities are its teeth. To the north the rocks of red granite rise jagged and broken. To the south, a mile and a half away, as the crow flies, nature seems to have manifested its wildest forces. It is here, where the little promontory, called Winifold, juts out, that the two great geological features of the Aberdeen coast meet. The red cyanite of the north joins the black gneiss of the south. That union must have been originally a wild one. There are evidences of an upheaval which must have shaken the earth to its centre. Here and there are great masses of either species of rock hurled upwards in every conceivable variety of form, sometimes fused or pressed together so that it is impossible to say exactly where the gneiss ends or the cyanite begins. But broadly speaking, here is an irregular line of separation. This line runs seaward to the east and its strength is shown in its outcrop. For half a mile or more the rocks rise through the sea, singly or in broken masses, ending in a dangerous cluster known as the Scares, and which has for centuries its full toll of wreck and disaster. Did the sea hold its dead where they fell? Its floor around the Scares would be whitened with their bones, and new islands could build themselves with the piling wreckage. At times one may see here the ocean in her fiercest mood, for it is when the tempest drives from the southeast that the sea is fretted amongst the rugged rocks and sends its spume landwards. The rocks that at calmer times rise dark from the briny deep are lost to sight for moments in the grand onrush of the waves. The seagulls, which usually whiten them, now flutter around screaming, and the sounds of their shrieks comes in on the gale almost in a continuous note, for the single cries are merged in the multitudinous roar of sea and air. The village, squatted beside the embouchure of the water of Cruden, at the northern side of the bay, is simple enough. A few rows of fishermen's cottages, two or three great red-tiled drying sheds nestled in the sand-heap behind the fishers' houses. For the rest of the place as it was when first I saw it, a little lookout beside a tall flagstaff on the northern cliff, a few scattered farms over the inland prospect, one little hotel down on the western bank of the water of Cruden, with a fringe of willows protecting its sunk garden, which was always full of fruits and flowers. From the most southern part of the beach of Cruden Bay to Winifold Village, the distance is but a few hundred yards. First, a steep pull up the face of the rock, 
and then an even way, beside part of which runs a tiny stream. To the left of this path, going towards Winifold, the ground rises in a bold slope and then falls again all around, forming a sort of wide miniature hill of some eighteen or twenty acres. Of this southern side is sheer, the black rock dipping into the waters of the little bay of Winifold, in the centre of which is a picturesque island of rock shelving steeply from the water on the northern side, as is the tendency of all the gneiss and granite in this part. But to the east and north there are irregular bays or openings, so that the furthest points of the promontory stretch out like fingers. At the tips of these are reefs of sunken rock falling down to deep water and whose existence can only be suspected in bad weather when the rush of the current beneath sends up swirling eddies or curling masses of foam. These little bays are mostly curved and are green where falling earth or drifting sand have hidden the outmost side of the rocks and given a foothold to the sea-grass and clover. Here have been at some time or other great caves, now either fallen in or silted up with sand, or obliterated with the earth brought down in the rush of surface water in times of long rain. In one of these bays, Broad Haven, facing right out to the scares, stands an isolated pillar of rock called locally the Pure Mon, through whose base time and weather have worn a hole through which one may walk dry-shod. Through the masses of rocks that run down to the sea, from the sides and shores of all these bays are here and there natural channels with straight edges as though cut on purpose for the taking in of the cobbles belonging to the fisher folk of winifold when first i saw the place i fell in love with it had it been possible i should have spent my summer there in a house of my own but the want of any place in which to live forbade such an opportunity so i stayed in the little hotel the Kilmarnock Arms. The next year I came again, and the next, and the next, and then I arranged to take a foot at Winifold and to build a house overlooking the scares for myself. The details of this kept me constantly going to Winifold, and my house-to-be was always in my thoughts. Hitherto my life had been an uneventful one. At school I was, though secretly ambitious, dull as to results. At college I was better off, for my big body and athletic powers gave me a certain position in which I had to overcome my natural shyness. When I was about eight and twenty I found myself nominally a barrister, with no knowledge whatever of the practice of law, and but little less of the theory, and with a commission in the devil's own, the irreverent name given to the inns of court volunteers, I had few relatives, but a comfortable, though not great, fortune. I had been round the world, dilettante fashion. End of chapter 1 Recording by Crystal Treader